Welcome to the John the Baptist podcast, today's edition of Spiritual Awakening Radio. My name is James Bean. Today, taking a deep dive, closely examining the diet of John the Baptist, bringing together for the first time some key sources of information and scholars who have weighed in on this issue. According to Matthew 3, 4 and Mark 1, 6 in the New Testament, John the Baptist's food, quote, was locusts and wild honey, unquote. Some whose native language is Greek and who are affiliated with Eastern Orthodox Christianity believe that the reference to locusts there actually is to locust beans, not locusts as in bugs. Locust beans, also known as carabines, some describe, quote, St. John's bread or manna bread, unquote, as being made of locust bean flour, also known as carob flour, which is turned into a kind of Middle Eastern flatbread or pancake dipped in honey. In fact, there is some common knowledge out there some who know about John the Baptist eating bread made of locust bean flour or carob flour, some are acquainted with this understanding about the vegetarian diet of John the Baptist, that it was locust bean flour, not locusts as in the insect being referred to in many ancient Christian writings. Today we consult with not only Matthew 3, 4 and Mark 1, 6, but also the historian Josephus, the Slavonic edition of the book of Josephus actually contains a saying of John the Baptist. We consult with the life and martyrdom of John the Baptist attributed to Mark the Evangelist, written in Greek and originally studied in Syria. We consult with the life of John the Baptist by Serapion, who compiled this book about John the Baptist based on many different manuscripts once available to him. It was composed in Egypt in the Coptic language. Now, both of those writings are found translated for the first time in the English language in a volume known as New Testament Apocrypha, More Non-Canonical Scriptures. It's actually a two-volume set by Tony Burke. I recently picked up that two-volume set and noticed references to the diet of John the Baptist in there. And I thought, okay, we have enough new material, enough research to do a podcast. It was fun researching this information and fun sharing this with you today. Some new research about John the Baptist. We consult with the gospel of the Ebionites, the Ebionites of the Jesus movement and their cousins in the John the Baptist sect known as the Nazareans. The church father Epiphanius, Professor Bart Ehrman, Robert Eisenman, James Kelhofer, Keith Akers, James Tabor, E.S. Drower, the famous Mandaean Nazarean historian, as well as G.R.S. Mead. Locust beans, not locust insects. Beans, not bugs. The vegetarian diet of John the Baptist today on Spiritual Awakening Radio. In my earlier booklet, Evidence That Jesus and the Original Aramaic Christians Were Vegetarians, 
I had a John the Baptist section. There's a link to that if you're listening to this podcast by way of YouTube. Just scroll down to the notes section below. There's a link to that booklet. It has a John the Baptist section, sayings of Jesus section, sayings of the apostles section, examples of vegetarianism and Judaism in the Hebrew scriptures, references to vegetarianism amongst the early church fathers, vegetarian references in Gnosticism, and other material. But we have some new research to share today about the diet of John the Baptist. The Secret Adam, a study of Nazarene Gnosis by E.S. Drower is where I'll begin. Amongst Mandaeans, there is an oral tradition that they were once vegetarians. The Mandaeans are a branch of a branch of a branch of the John the Baptist group. They still exist. They live in Iraq. According to their history, they once lived in the Transjordan area, underwent persecution, and some of them migrated further to the east, moving to places where there are large rivers similar to the Jordan River, where they could continue baptizing people. Near the Tigris River and the Euphrates River in Iraq is where they ended up, also the marshland area of Iraq. They are known as the Mandaeans, the people of the book. Their other name is the Nazareans. They are living followers of John the Baptist who never signed up for Christianity. The Ebionites, according to E.S. Drower, the Judeo-Christians who were classed with the Judeo-Christians following the example of James, the brother of Jesus, were vegetarians and ate no meat. Blood sacrifice, since the destruction of the temple was dead, it had been frowned upon by the Essenes and others before them. Baptizing Jews thought that the sacrament of baptism replaced sacrifices. The Ebionites, for the most part, had settled in the Transjordan region. Hegesippus, the church historian, says that James wore long hair unshaven, was a vegetarian, did not anoint himself with oil, drank no wine, and did not visit the public baths. This has been taken to mean that James the Just was a Nazarite. The Essenes also practiced similar austerities." Unquote. That's from E.S. Drower in her book about the Mandaeans, The Secret Adam, a study of Nazarene Gnosis. Now, I just want to mention that this description of James the Just, the brother of Jesus, and eventually his spiritual successor, the next in line, running this original Jesus movement, this Jerusalem group, uh, his description matches the Pythagorean ethics and lifestyle. For instance, I've read about Apollonius of Tiana as also being vegetarian and never taking part in these public baths, as if that's a decadent thing, decadent place. So the description of the hairstyle, the diet and look of James the Just, very much is in line with Pythagorean values. 
and Apollonius of Tiana had the same look. Gospel of Matthew 3-4 His, John the Baptist's, food was locusts and wild honey. In the old Syriac Aramaic gospel, it renders that as, quote, honey of the waste, unquote. As in honey of the wasteland or wilderness. There are two Greek words with almost identical spelling. Egkrides, E-G-K-R-I-D-E-S, referring to carob pods, also called locust beans and St. John's bread. As I mentioned, they can be ground up into flour and used to make a kind of Middle Eastern flatbread or pancake. And we have the Greek word for locust as an insect, spelled A-K-R-I-D-E-S, or acrides, almost the same. Couple le- change a couple letters and you go from carob to locust, as in a bug instead of a bean. See the photo used for this podcast at YouTube showing carob pods hanging from the St. John's tree. And you can see how they got to be named locust beans, as they do resemble locusts. They are these chocolate-colored or carob-colored pods hanging on the branches. More later on in this podcast about carob versus chocolate, as I will eventually digress. I will bring that up. John's food, however, you may define the meaning of the word locusts and the meaning of wild honey, occurs naturally in the wild, according to all of the references we have, be they canonical or non-canonical, New Testament Gospels or other Gospels and writings of early Christianity. The following is from John the Baptist's Wild Honey and Honey in Antiquity by James A. Kelhoffer. Quote, in ancient texts, the references to honey in antiquity can refer equally to honey produced by bees or to any number of other sweet substances, including dates, figs, pods, or sap, or gum, from carob or other trees. Unquote. He also says, for this reason, the historian Eva Crane warns concerning possible references to bee honey in ancient civilizations, quote, Unless the context makes clear a connection with hives, bees, or honeycomb, caution is warranted, unquote, from her Book of History, page 453. It is therefore difficult to ascertain which sweet substance is designated as honey in certain ancient writings, yet most scholars do not even consider which type of honey John the Baptist ate. Many others simply assume that he ate bee honey apparently unaware of the inherent ambiguity in almost any occurrence of wild honey without an accompanying reference to either bees or vegetation. James A. Kelhoffer. Here's some context. There is a vegetarian depiction of John the Baptist's diet in the old Russian Slavonic edition of the book of Josephus, the historian Josephus. Josephus actually quotes John the Baptist. This is a veg saying attributed to John the Baptist. I am pure, for the Spirit of God has led me on, and I live on cane and roots and tree food. Unquote. Josephus says of John, quote, 
and every animal he abhorred as food, and every wrong he rebuked, and tree produce served him for use." Unquote. John is depicted by Josephus as a vegetarian. More context. There is a vegetarian depiction of John's diet in the Syriac life and martyrdom of John the Baptist. The life and martyrdom of John the Baptist supplies us with some context and it points to the sap in the plants as being the natural sweet substance, or honey if you will. The life and martyrdom of John the Baptist is attributed to Mark the Evangelist, written in Greek and originally studied in Syria. Quote, so at once he, John the Baptist, was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he traveled into the wilderness. He was brought up in the wilderness, eating tips of plants and the sap in the plants. Unquote. Found translated in New Testament Apocrypha, more non-canonical scriptures, volume one by Tony Burke. When I read that, I thought, yes, let's go ahead with that John the Baptist podcast I've been meaning to get to. Robert Eisenman in James, the Brother of Jesus, writes, Both carobs and figs were considered to exude honey. Where the confusion or overlap of either fig or carob trees associated with these stories is concerned, both were considered by tradition to grow apart in rocky places and produce a kind of honey that was eaten, usually as poor man's food. In rabbinic sources, the passage is honey out of a craig, Deuteronomy 32.13, and honey out of a rock, Psalm 81.16, replied, replied to these sources, these plants. Again, we have the overlap with the food ascribed in Christian sources to John. The life of John the Baptist by Serapion was composed in Egypt in the Coptic language. He was compiling information about the life of John the Baptist based on all of the available sources he had access to. It says in there, while Holy John lived in the desert, God and his angels were with him. He led a strict ascetic life in great devoutness, did not eat anything but grass and wild honey, and prayed and fasted constantly waiting for the salvation of Israel." Unquote. New Testament Apocrypha, More Non-Canonical Scriptures, Volume 1, by Tony Burke. Don't know what to make of the grass reference, other than to say it's once again a reference to plants, or tips of plants growing, and not eating bugs. There is an interesting footnote there, too. Since asceticism, quote, since asceticism and devoutness generally required abstaining from eating meat altogether, many traditions mention a vegetarian diet of some sort in connection with John the Baptist. See James A. Kelhoffer's book, The Diet of John the Baptist, for more details, unquote. An interesting footnote which led me to look up writings by James Kelhoffer, as part of my new research into the diet of John the Baptist. Dr. James D. Tabor is professor of Christian origins and ancient Judaism in the Department of Religious Studies at the University of North Carolina at Charlotte. And he weighs in, as several scholars have done on this question of carob versus locust. 
Quote, the most commonly held view of John's diet based on our text in Mark is that he ate locusts, a migratory form of the grasshopper, still commonly consumed by desert peoples in Arabia. Others have suggested the word translated locusts refers to the beans of the carob tree, commonly called St. John's bread. However, the Greek word translated as locusts in the New Testament seem to clearly refer to a species of grasshopper. The problem is, such eating of flesh, even if that of an insect, seems to contradict the sources that emphasize John the Baptist's ascetic vegetarian ideal. Paul, for example, refers to members of the Jesus movement who abstain from eating meat and drinking wine, Romans 14, 1 through 4. We also have traditions that James, the brother of Jesus, practiced a strictly vegetarian lifestyle, which was also common amongst the Jewish Christian community that became known as the Ebionites, based on a Hebrew word for the poor. Somehow locusts seem out of place. A possible solution to this confusion about John's desert diet is found in the fragments we have of the lost gospel of the Ebionites, as quoted by the 4th century Christian writer Epiphanius in his Panarion, who hated the group but fortunately nonetheless can't resist quoting them, thus preserving some precious material. The Greek word for locusts is very similar to the Greek word for honey cake that is used for the manna that the Israelites ate in the desert in the days of Moses. According to this ancient text, it was not locusts, but these cakes cooked in olive oil. If this is the case, then John would have eaten a cake of some type made from a desert plant, similar to the manna that the Israelites, the ancient Israelites, ate in the desert in the days of Moses. This bread from heaven, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Exodus 16.31, Numbers 11.8. This kind of pancake baked in oil and sweetened with honey would then reflect and emulate the ideal holiness of the desert wanderings of Israel when the people had to look to God alone for daily bread. Unquote. From an article by Dr. James D. Tabor titled, Did John the Baptist Eat Bugs, Beans, or pancakes. From the introduction to the book of John the Baptizer by G.R.S. Mead, According to a rabbinic legend going back along this line of interpretation, the ancient myth of Genesis 3.21 was conceived more spiritually. After the fall, the first falling away from God, Yahweh Elohim clothed Adam and Eve in coats of skin, not because of their nakedness, but in exchange for their lost paradisical garments of light. Unquote. Just interjecting here, I years ago read the books of Adam and Eve, and those say the same thing, that Adam and Eve glowed with garments made of light, and that's why they didn't think of themselves as being naked. 
Back to G.R.S. Mead in his introduction to the book of John, the Baptizer, which is a Mandaean Nazarean scripture. John lived at a time when such mystical interpretations with a host of prophetical and apocalyptic notions were in the air. It might very well then be that he himself, in wearing a skin robe, intended something more than a simple copying of the fashion of the ancient prophets. In keeping with his ruling idea, he may have thought it more appropriate an outer sign of repentance, a return to the first garments of fallen man, the proper robe of penitent sinners, and therefore especially of a leader who would show the people a wholehearted example of turning again to God, thus retracing in a contrary direction the way of the fall, unquote. In other words, back to Eden, going back to Eden, reversing the fall. That's a theme with vegetarianism and Judaism, by the way. G.R.S. Mead, so too with regard to food, there must be a return to the primitive law laid down for primal fallen man. Genesis 129, Behold, I have given you every herb-bearing seed, which is upon the face of the earth, and every tree in which is the fruit of a tree-yielding seed, to you it shall be for food. G.R.S. Mead, it was only after the deluge, the flood, that men were permitted to eat animal food according to the Noahidic covenant, as it was called, imbued with ideas of penitence and repentance, John would desire to return to the strictest food regulations of the earliest days of the fall, the fall of humanity, in keeping with his symbolic manner of clothing. Not only so, but seemingly with a refinement of self-discipline as a means of contrition, John chose out of the many fruits from a tree-yielding seed, that of the carob or locust tree, which was considered by the Jewish allegorists the most appropriate food of repentance. For we have preserved from this line of tradition an ancient proverb, quote, Israel needs carob pods to make him repent, unquote said to be the basis, uh, or based on, rather, a prophecy in Isaiah 1.20. Perhaps the husks or pods eaten by the prodigal son in the gospel parable may, in the original Aramaic, have been carob pods. Luke 15.16 A passage from G.R.S. Mead's introduction to the book of John the Baptizer. Keith Akers authored a book called Disciples. As far as I'm concerned, it is the best book ever written about the Jesus movement and where they fit into history, how they relate to the John the Baptist group, the Nazareans, and how the Nazareans fit or are related to the Essenes and how the Essenes may or may not have been the people of the Dead Sea Scrolls and how that fits into the world of Second Temple Judaism and the influence of Pythagoras and the Pythagoreans upon Judaism and you eventually get to Gnosticism or some of those uh, who branched out from John the Baptist uh, that became rivals of Jesus and the Ebionite Jesus movement 
went on to become groups like the Mandaeans. And so it really fits in. You know, where does the Jesus movement fit in? It, it, it took 2,000 years, but someone finally wrote a great introduction to the Jesus movement, their teachings, their scriptures, and where they fit into history. It's a book called Disciples by Keith Akers. And beginning on page 97, he talks about John, vegetarianism, and animal sacrifice. Keith Akers, what did John think about vegetarianism and animal sacrifice? There is a significant contrast between the Orthodox and the Ebionite picture of John on these points. Orthodox Christianity obviously had no place for animal sacrifice, but it conceded a certain legitimacy to the practice of animal sacrifice by depicting Jesus' own death as the successor to the practice of animal sacrifice. Quote, Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, says Paul, 1 Corinthians 15.3. Jesus' death is also pictured as a redemption in Ephesians 1.7. This would obviously be offensive to the Ebionites, for the Ebionites' animal sacrifice was to be abolished, not somehow mysteriously fulfilled by Jesus. Moreover, the Ebionite ideal of baptism clearly contradicts the idea of Jesus' death as redemption. There is clearly a hard-fought debate over whether John was a vegetarian. Epiphanius quotes from the Ebionite gospel account of John the Baptist, largely parallel to that in the New Testament, but notes with considerable indignation that the Ebionites changed the part about John eating locusts with wild honey to wild honey as a cake made with oil from the Panarian 30, 13, 4. The Ebionites did not think that John ate insects. The idea of a vegetarian John the Baptist turns up in numerous places outside the New Testament. In the first place, John may have been described as eating insects, but even Epiphanius concedes that he did not eat any other animal flesh or any alcoholic beverages. Quote, John did not partake of flesh and wine, but partook only of locusts and honey and certainly also of water. A quote from Epiphanius in his Panarian. Eating insects was not unheard of in the ancient Near East, and in fact, insects were seen by some as a delicacy and a food for the wealthy. There is another simpler explanation possible, though, that the reference is to locust beans, namely the seed of the carob tree. The Oxford English Dictionary for the term locust notes that the Greek name, properly denoting the insect, is applied in the Levant to the carob pod, from some resemblance in form and from very early times it has been believed by many that the locusts eaten by John the Baptist were these pods." Unquote. 
The Greek church maintained that John didn't eat insects, saying that the text actually referred, the new, referring to the New Testament references to John and locusts, actually referred to shoots of various plants. There is an etymological connection as well. The carob tree today is commonly known as St. John's bread. Locust beans, not locust insects. Beans, not bugs. Indeed, there is a vegetarian depiction of John's diet in the Gospel of the Ebionites, a name for the poor, as they were known in the book of Acts, the very first followers of Jesus, the disciples, the Jewish Christians, sometimes called Hebrew Christians, back there in the first century. His, John the Baptist's, food was wild honey that tasted like manna, like a cake cooked in olive oil, unquote. That's a verse from the Gospel of the Ebionites found translated in the other Gospels, accounts of Jesus from outside the New Testament, edited and translated by Professor Bart Ehrman. The Gospel of the Ebionites. That, of course, Epiphanius eventually quoted and found fault with because it differed a bit from the references that he knew of from the New Testament. Some already know about St. John's bread, the carob trees of the Middle East. Those are called St. John's tree. Some describe this St. John's bread or manna bread as being made of locust bean flour or carob flour turned into a flat bread or pancake dipped in honey. In fact, there is some common knowledge out there who know of some who know of John the Baptist eating bread made of locust bean flour. Some in the Greek Orthodox Church, Eastern Orthodoxy, and other forms of Christianity are aware of this understanding about the vegetarian diet of John the Baptist. For instance, if you Google St. John's bread, you'll find quite a few references to this on the World Wide Web. For instance, this article, St. John's Bread, comes from Carob Pods of the Carob Tree. Quote, the Carob Tree, also known as St. John's Bread, is a native to the Middle Eastern Mediterranean region and Israel, where it grows naturally as a hedge. The term St. John's Bread is because the seeds and sweet pulp of this tree were supposedly the locust and wild honey St. John ate in the wilderness." Unquote. Mainstream biblical scholars describe John the Baptist as a vegetarian part of a spiritual movement, a spiritual movement during early antiquity that included vegetarianism. And anyone, who's anyone who is following a religion that's vegetarian isn't likely to want to eat bugs, right? doesn't fit. Probably, uh, this is a quote from Professor Bart Ehrman, quote, probably the most interesting of the changes from the familiar New Testament accounts of Jesus come in the Gospel of the Ebionites' description of John the Baptist, who evidently, like his successor Jesus, maintained a strictly vegetarian diet. That's a quote from Professor Bart Ehrman, Lost Christianity's The Battle for Scripture, and the faiths we never knew, says Professor Robert Eisenman in James, the brother of Jesus. John was both a Rechabite or Nazarite and vegetarian, 
On page 264, he says, one suggestion is that John ate carobs. Epiphanius, in preserving what he calls the Ebionite gospel, rails against the passage there, claiming that John ate wild honey and manna-like vegetarian cakes dipped in oil. John would have been one of those wilderness-dwelling, vegetarian-eating persons, page 326. They, the Nazarene, ate nothing but wild fruit milk and honey, probably the same food that John the Baptist also ate. A statement on page 367. We have already seen how, in some tradition, carobs were said to have been the true composition of John's food, page 403. His, John's, diet was stems, roots, and fruits. Like James, the just, and other Nazarites or Rechabites, he is presented as being a vegetarian, unquote. Locust beans, not insects. Beans, not bugs. Robert Eisenman in James, the Brother of Jesus, writes, It has been suggested that the word locusts in the New Testament Gospels is based on a garbling from either the Hebrew or Aramaic into Greek, a mistake, in other words, made by copyists somewhere along the way. A similar problem is encountered in the book of Acts's picture of another of James's directives, a directive of James the Just, to oversee communities, quote, to abstain from strangled things, food that had been strangled. Also seemingly a garbled translation of some kind. One suggestion is that John ate carobs. Epiphanius, in preserving what he calls the Ebionite gospel, rails against the passage there claiming John ate wild honey and manna-like vegetarian cakes dipped in oil. He, the church father Epiphanius, complains that they substitute honey cakes, which had the taste of manna, for locusts, the honey of Israel seems to have been a syrup made from either dates, carobs, or grapes, and according to Exodus 16.31, manna had the taste of cakes made with honey, unquote. Regardless of translation problems and mistransliteration from one language to another, it is pretty sure that John would have been one of those wilderness-dwelling vegetarian-eating persons says Robert Eisenman. Some thoughts about this cautionary tale of venerating mistaken translations as divinely inspired and being forever trapped by traditions of men unable to learn new things, or in this case, very old things about the diet of John the Baptist. In other words, the manuscript copyists of the New Testament made a mistake choosing a different Greek word meaning locust the insect, instead of locust beans. When presented with the locust flower cake or bread reference found in another gospel text, the Gospel of the Ebionites, Epiphanius, who was from Cyprus and lived during the 4th century, wrongly assumed the mistaken version he was familiar with in the Gospels to be correct, and the correct version preserved in the Gospel of the Ebionites to be in error. A mistaken translation in some Greek manuscripts is made into something holy, inspired, sacrosanct, and divine. And he dismisses evidence from the oldest version of Christianity in antiquity, that of the Jesus movement, the early church, 
preserved in one of the Gospels of the Hebrew Christians, the Gospel of the Ebionites. For more on the Greek words for locust and carob, see R. Eisler's book, The Messiah Jesus and John the Baptist, where he points out confusions between the Hebrew and Aramaic word for locusts and carobs. Professor Bart Ehrman writes in Lost Christianities, The Battles for Scripture and the Faiths We Never Knew, page 103, probably the most interesting of the changes from the familiar New Testament accounts of Jesus comes in the Gospel of the Ebionites' description of John the Baptist, who evidently, like his successor Jesus, maintained a strictly vegetarian diet. In this Gospel, with the change of just one letter of the relevant Greek word, the diet of John the Baptist was said to have consisted not of locusts, in other words, meat and wild honey, but of pancakes and wild honey, unquote. Reference to diet of John the Baptist at answers.com. This is interesting, something you can Google and find. There has been a long-standing confusion in the etymological origin of the word locust. Locust is both a bean from the carob plant and an insect. The Greek word for cakes or bread made from the flower of the carob bean is spelled E-G-K-R-I-D-E-S, egrides or egrides. And the Greek word for locust, the insect, is almost the same, spelling A-K-R-I-D-E-S, acrides. John the Baptist belonged to a group of ascetics who believed in repentance and in leading an austere lifestyle. The carob bean was seen as the diet of the lower classes who normally endured hardship and exploitation from the priestly class. So we can conclude that John the Baptist ate locust plant from the carob tree. The same can be said of honey. It could be anything from saps of certain trees to juice of the crushed dates. Carob flour and crushed dates made a good damper or sweet rustic cake. Yes, some sort of date juice or even honey on a pancake would be much tastier than honey on some locusts. Yes, I would, I would agree with that. I would say that's correct. You'll find that at answers.com, weighing in on this question of locust versus locust beans. About that garbling of the translation, the word mix-up over the word locust in the New Testament translations that we have inherited, uh, that we have inherited, Robert Eisenman in James, the brother of Jesus, writes, Epiphanes, uh, in uh, referring to the Gospel of the Ebionites, as we saw, maintained that John ate wild honey and vegetarian cakes baked in oil. This description in the Gospel of the Ebionites, coupled with eating nothing but wild, pan, uh, wild plants in Second Maccabees, description of Judas wilderness of, of Judas's wilderness regime, certainly is a more convincing picture of the diet of these wilderness dwellers than the highly improbable and even insulting locusts and wild honey. I think I'll read that part again. This description in the Gospel of the Ebionites, coupled with the eating of nothing but wild plants in 2 Maccabees' description of Judas's wilderness regime, 
certainly is a more convincing picture of the diet of these wilderness dwellers than the highly improbable and even insulting locusts with wild honey." Unquote. About the original Jesus movement that we've been alluding to on the side here, Professor Bart Ehrman writes in Lost Christianities, The Battles for Scripture and the Faiths We Never Knew, says, It appears that Ebionite Christians also believe that since Jesus was the perfect ultimate final sacrifice for sins, there was no longer any need for the ritual sacrifice of animals. Jewish sacrifices, therefore, were understood to be a temporary and imperfect measure provided by God to atone for sins until the perfect atoning sacrifice should be made. As a result, if these Christian Jews were in existence before the destruction of the Jewish temple in 70 AD, they would not have participated in its cultic practices. Later, they, or at least some of them, evidently remained vegetarian, since in the ancient world the slaughter of animals for meat was most always done in the context of a cultic act of worship. In other words, meat sacrificed to idols was sort of a big thing back then. Bart Ehrman, if the Ebionites had established themselves as dominant, then things would be radically different for Christians today. Christianity would not be a religion that was separate from Judaism, but a sect of Judaism a sect that accepted Jewish laws, customs, and ways, a sect that observed Jewish holy days and various festivals, a sect that kept kosher food laws and maintained a vegetarian diet, unquote. Also followed the Sabbath, the seventh day, Saturday Sabbath. Just interjecting that as well. Oh, and before I go... Earlier, I promised I'd mentioned something about carob powder. That is something you can find at a health food store or order through Amazon or whatever source you make use of to order things from. Carob powder tastes a lot like cocoa. Looks a lot like cocoa. I wouldn't recommend trading your cocoa or cacao for carob powder, however, because cacao the raw form of cocoa especially, is a superfood chock-filled with many protective, healthy, healing antioxidants. So you want to keep that, especially if you don't consume cocoa or cacao with sugar and milk, it will be much more effective. The sugar uh, doesn't help any. The milk binds to some of the antioxidants and keeps them out of the body. And that's one reason why people advocate veganism. You know, if milk can bind and prevent some antioxidants, which are really healthy from working in the human body, what other bad things does it do? Or what other antioxidants does it somewhat nullify in the human system? That's why some people advocate veganism, such as myself. So you don't want to swap your cacao or cocoa for carob, but it is a, a wonderful, tasty substance with its own profile of antioxidants. Many plants are beneficial to the human body in one way or another, and that's also true of carob. 
and I've had it before. Now that I've mentioned it on today's program, I'll probably order some for myself. Uh, again, tasty and wonderful and nutritious carob powder is still a thing in the 21st century. And in conclusion, an excerpt from something called the Vegetarian Prayer of Thanksgiving found in the Nag Hammadi Library, a collection of writings discovered in Egypt. The thanksgiving of the one who attains to you is this one thing, that we know you. We have known you, light of mind, light of life, life of life, we have known you. Womb of every creature, we have known you. Womb pregnant with the nature of the Father, we have known you. Eternal permanence of the begetting Father, thus we have worshipped your goodness. There is one petition that we ask, we would be preserved in knowledge, and there is one protection that we desire, that we not stumble in this kind of life. Then the text reads, when they had said these things in the prayer, they embraced each other, and they went to eat their holy food, which has no blood in it. And according to the footnote in the Gnostic Scriptures by Marvin Meyer, that is vegetarian food served at this agape or cult meal, or love feast as it sometimes also uh, has been known. This passage is also found in the Epilogue of Asclepius in Hermetica. There is another version of this same scripture found in another text, Hermetica. This is from the Hermetica translated by Sir Walter Scott. Having prayed thus, let us betake ourselves to a meal unpolluted by flesh of living things, unquote. The G.R.S. Mead translation of the same verse, with this desire, we now betake us to our pure and fleshless meal." Unquote. And that same verse, this time found in Asclepius, translated in Hermetica, the Brian Copenhaver translation, published by Cambridge University Press, with such hopes, we turn to a pure meal that includes no living thing. Unquote. The vegetarian prayer of thanksgiving from the Nag Hammadi Library and also found in the Corpus Hermeticum. Thanks for joining me today for Spiritual Awakening Radio. Mm -hmm.